Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the Sabbath that we can worship you. And I pray now that you would speak through me, that this message will be one that uplifts Christ, and that it would stir each of our hearts to be ready to meet Jesus when he comes. So I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The title for the message this morning is Signs in the Heavens. Well, you may have noticed by my daughter's prayers and thanks that she's excited about the eclipse in our house, and we're definitely looking forward to it. And I thought that since there is going to be a total solar eclipse so close to us here that it would be a helpful to a reminder to us just to recall what the Bible says about the signs of the coming of Jesus. Now, I may hasten to add that I am not and I have seen some people saying this on the internet, this total solar eclipse is not a specific prophecy in the Bible that identifies the timing of the coming of Jesus. There are total solar eclipses somewhere on Earth as often as every 18 months. It just so happens that the United States gets to see one this time. So we're going to look at some of the signs, though, in the heavens that announced the coming of Jesus. Now, just about this eclipse that is coming up, it's just two days away now, August 21. And this is from one of our newspapers here in the United States. It says, a total solar eclipse will sweep across America, casting millions of people into temporary darkness. It will be the biggest astronomical event America has seen in years, watched by millions of people from within the path of totality and tens of millions more who are outside it. One astronomer, this is Tyler Nordgren of the University of Redlands, has said it will be the most photographed, most shared, most tweeted event in human history. Now, maybe not, but it's true that this is gathering a lot of attention. Now, I may add that if you are living close enough so that you can go, you should because you may never see another event like this in your lifetime. Even if you don't have eclipse glasses, you will still experience the totality when it hits, and if it's about two and a half minutes, it doesn't matter if you don't have glasses at that point, you can experience that. So I would encourage you to go. Some eclipse enthusiasts have spent years preparing for the solar spectacle, the first eclipse across the entire continental United States in almost a century, this is the first total solar eclipse to occur solely in the United States since the country was founded. For most Americans, this is the best chance to see a solar eclipse we will have in our lifetimes. And this is the first eclipse in the Middle Tennessee area since 1478. So I don't think any of us were around when that happened. So hopefully many of you can have an opportunity to go find a good spot that's in the path of totality, because if you're not in the path, and I hate to say this, but if you're not in the path, it's not the same. It'll be kind of dark, but it won't go totally dark. So if you can get in the path, and I realize not everybody can go, but if you have a chance to go, you should try to make it. So we are privileged to have this opportunity to see this sign in the heaven. It's a total solar eclipse. It's seen every so often around Earth, but it's coming to our area. But it's a reminder to me that Jesus foretold certain signs that would take place before he would come back. And many people are not aware that these signs have already taken place. 
And I want to go back to our scripture reading for today, Luke chapter 21, starting in verse 25. And we read, And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars, and upon the earth the stress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Listen, friends, as followers of Jesus, these signs that have come already, and that even now as we see unrest happening on this earth, this should not cause our hearts to fail us for fear. We should not be afraid of the signs that point to the soon coming of Jesus. We should be lifting up our heads because our redemption is drawing near. The coming of Jesus is a good sign. It's a good news. Now, what are these signs in the, the heavens and the sun and the moon and the stars? Well, they are mentioned several times throughout Scripture. Jesus first mentions in the New Testament... In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, starting in verse 29, Jesus says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened. Now, the tribulation spoken of here is the period of the 1260 years of persecution from 538 to 1798. But the persecution ended before 1798. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven, the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Here you see the sequence of events, that the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give her light, the stars will fall from heaven. We also see in Mark chapter 13, verses 24 through 26, a similar description. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars of heaven shall fall and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Now, interestingly, in the Old Testament as well, in the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 31, a description is given of this time in earth's history. Joel chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 31 and 32. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. So the Lord is going to have a remnant people at the end of time who will pass through this period of time where these signs in the heaven take place and he will deliver his people. Finally, in the book of Revelation, there are the seven seals and you have the first five seals. And when you get to the sixth seal, this is a transition point. You have the first seal starting in Revelation chapter 6, where you have a, a white horse. This represents the conquering pure Christian church. And then you move along to the second seal where there's the red horse. This is the persecuted church. The black horse, this is the apostate church. And the third seal, the fourth horse is 
the, the pale horse where the church goes and to complete apostasy. And then the fifth seal describes the souls crying under the altar. This describes the time of the Protestant Reformation where there is a protest to the persecution of God's faithful people. And then in the sixth seal, starting in verse 12, it says, And when I beheld, when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black, as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth. Here we see one further event, this great earthquake, but we see a dark day, we see the falling of the stars, and we see an earthquake. The earthquake is the first great event. So, interestingly, you read these signs in the heaven. Jesus mentions them in the gospel, saying that these are signs that will take place just before I come back. When you read the sixth seal in Revelation chapter 6, it says, after these events, in verse 14, it says, And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Now, the, the first thing I want to draw your attention to is what kind of people would be scared of a lamb? Lambs are always afraid of people, and they run away very quickly. Lambs are not something that we are typically afraid of. So it's this weird setting in which the leaders of this earth, the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, those who are warriors, who have fought battles, they see the lamb, and they are afraid, and they call for the rocks and the mountains to fall upon them. Clearly, this is the, describing the coming of the great lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the coming of Jesus in the clouds of heaven, and for those who have not accepted accepted the sacrifice of the Lamb, this day is described as the day of the wrath of the Lamb. And these signs in the heaven and on earth are the signs that precede the coming of Jesus. So many of us have gone through these signs before, but it's always a good reminder to help us recall where we are prophetically in Earth's history in the setting of the sixth seal, or the, excuse me, the seven seals. In the sixth seal, the very first event is this great earthquake. This is the great Lisbon earthquake of May 1, 1755, which takes place not long before the end of the 1260 days. This great Lisbon earthquake was an earthquake such as the world had never seen to that point. Now, we've seen some very bad earthquakes in recent years. There was the, um, the earthquake that triggered the tsunami in 2004 over in Indonesia and in Southeast Asia that killed over 100,000 people. There was also the earthquake in Japan um, in 2011 that triggered a great earthquake. But the Lisbon earthquake of May 1, 1755 was a cataclysmic event. Ellen White says in the book Great Controversy, page 304, 
In fulfillment of this prophecy, there occurred in the year 1755 the most terrible earthquake that has ever been recorded. Though commonly known as the earthquake of Lisbon, it extended to the greater part of Europe, Africa, and America. It was felt in Greenland, in the West Indies. Now, the West Indies, I live there. It's down in the Caribbean. Um, so you're talking about Trinidad and Tobago, and you have Grenada and Barbados and some of those islands. It was felt all the way down there. Um, in the island of Madeira, in Norway, in Sweden, Great Britain, and Ireland, it pervaded an extent of not less than 4 million square miles. In Africa, the shock was almost as severe as in Europe. A great part of Algiers was destroyed, and a short distance from Morocco, a village containing 8 or 10,000 inhabitants was swallowed up. A vast wave swept over the coast of Spain and Africa, engulfing cities and causing great destruction. This vast wave would be a tsunami. And there's all sorts of other things you can read about, about this terrible earthquake. This is the very first sign that is described in the sixth seal that announces that the coming of Jesus is very near. Just 25 years later, on May 19, 1780, we see the fulfillment of the sun becoming black as sackcloth of hair. And as Joel 2.31 says, the moon turned to blood. This is known as the dark day of May 19, 1780. Um, here we see, and this is great controversy, page 3 of 6. We read, almost if not altogether alone, as the most mysterious and as yet unexplained phenomenon of its kind stands the dark day of May 19, 1780, a most unaccountable darkening of the whole visible heavens and atmosphere in New England. Now let me say this. This total solar eclipse that we are going to experience in two days is going to last for about two and a half minutes. That's pretty cool. I mean, the, the sky is going to go dark, and it's going to be like a sunset. 360 around the whole horizon. The crickets are going to come out. You'll be able to see the stars. And it's going to last for two and a half minutes, and then it's going to be over. The dark day of May 19, 1780, started at 10 o'clock in the morning, and it lasted the rest of the day. It wasn't for two and a half minutes. So don't try to make the total solar eclipse into a repeat of the dark day of May 19, 1780. They're not the same thing. These total solar eclipses, like I said, can happen every 18 months. But the dark day of May 19, 1780 was a one-of-a-kind day. Now, some people are trying to say, oh, we're going to have these things repeated in sequence again. There's no indication when you study scripture that there's going to be a repetition of this prophetic history. These are one-time events that lead to the coming of Jesus. There's a great earthquake, there's a dark day, there's a falling of the stars, and then the next thing in the book of Revelation is the coming of Jesus in the clouds of heaven. Some people will try to create creative interpretations of Scripture that will say, well, there's going to be the solar eclipse on August 21, and then the Leonid meteor shower is going to be heavier than it has been in years, so this might be a repeat of Revelation 6 or Matthew 24. Friends, that's not a good way to interpret the Bible. Let's stick with the more sure word of prophecy, but what we do see is that we have the Lisbon earthquake of 1755, we have the dark day of 1780, and again, Jesus says in Matthew 24 that these events will take place immediately after the tribulation, which fits with the 1260 years of persecution of God's true people from 538 to 1798. And I realize 1755 and 1780 are before 1798, but the persecution had stopped before 1755. 
So we have this great dark day of May 19, 1780. Let me read a little bit further. An eyewitness living in Massachusetts describes the event as follows. In the morning, the sun rose clear, but was soon overcast. The, the clouds became lowery, and from them black and ominous. As they soon appeared, lightning flashed, thunder rolled, and a little rain fell. Toward nine o'clock, the clouds became thinner and assumed a brassy or coppery appearance, and earth, rocks, trees, buildings, water, and persons were changed by the strange unearthly light. A few minutes later, a heavy black cloud spread over the entire sky except a narrow rim at the horizon and it was as dark as it usually is at nine o'clock on a summer evening. Fear, anxiety, and awe gradually filled the minds of the people. Women stood at the door looking out upon the dark landscape. Men returned from their labor in the fields. The carpenter left his tools. The blacksmith his forge. The tradesman his counter. Schools were dismissed and tremblingly the children fled homeward. Travelers put up at their nearest farmhouse. What is coming? queried every lip. It seemed as if a hurricane was about to dash across the land or as if it was the day of the consummation of all things. When that day happened, everybody was thinking, is this the end of the world? It's good for us to remember that these signs have taken place, that Jesus has said that these events would take place just before he comes back. And then the next thing we see is that the stars of heaven fell unto the earth. And we have the fulfillment of that with the falling of the stars on November 13, 1833, which is 53 years after the dark day. So within less than a hundred year period of time, it's 78 years to be exact, we have the Lisbon earthquake, the dark day, the falling of the stars between 1755 and 1833, which were all signs that preceded the beginning of the final judgment in heaven in 1844 that would take place just before Jesus came back. And let me just read to you a brief description of the falling of the stars in 1833. This is Great Controversy, page 333. This prophecy received a striking and impressive fulfillment in the great meteoric shower of November 13, 1833. That was the most extensive and wonderful display of falling stars which has ever been recorded. The whole firmament over all the United States being then for hours in fiery commotion. No celestial phenomenon has ever occurred in this country since its first settlement, which was viewed with such intense admiration by one class in the community or with so much dread and alarm by another, its sublimity and awful beauty still linger in many minds. And so you can read other descriptions, but it was a very thick and heavy falling of, it was a meteor shower that impressed upon the hearts and minds of many the signs that Jesus is coming again. And so these were the people that then from 1833 onward, 1833 is the time that William Miller then took the message to the world that the end of all things is at hand, that Jesus is coming again. And so you had the signs in the heavens, the Lisbon earthquake and then the dark day and the falling of the stars that led to the proclamation that Jesus is coming soon. And as Seventh-day Adventists, we still believe that these signs in the heavens were not just random events in the history of earth that took place, but that they were fulfillments of prophecy. According to the sure word of prophecy, Jesus himself describes these events, described three times, recorded three times in the Gospels, in Matthew, in Mark, in, and in Luke. It's also seen in the book of Joel in the Old Testament. It's seen in the book of Revelation in the New Testament. If you see something mentioned five times in the Bible, it has great importance. 
And we believe that these signs point to the fact that we are living in the time that Jesus is coming soon. Now listen, when we get to the end of Revelation 6, it's as if we're about to see Jesus in the clouds. But when we get to Revelation 7, before we can see Jesus in the clouds, there is a step back, if you will. Something that needs to take place in order for Jesus to come back. Revelation chapter 7, starting in verse 1, says, And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed in 140 and 4,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. So there is this holding of the four winds. In order for Jesus to come back, the four winds must be released. And what is holding up the release of the four winds is the sealing of God's people, the 144,000 who will be God's representatives on this earth who will take the last message of warning and mercy to a lost and dying world. God has given the signs already that he is about to come back, but the final sign that will lead to the coming of Jesus will be when the servants of God, the 144,000, are sealed in their foreheads. God has already shown us enough to let us know that his coming is even at the door. He doesn't need to give us more and more signs to convince us that he is coming again. He already did that in 1755, 1780, 1833. Those were the key prophetic signs in the heavens that announced that the coming of Jesus is near. Then in 1844, he transitions from the holy place to the most holy place to begin the work of final judgment. And when that work of final judgment is finished, it will coincide with the sealing of God's people here on this earth. And friends, we are his people that he is working to place his seal in our foreheads upon. We're not just here to hang out on earth and have a good time and just kind of have a roll of the dice and see when Jesus might come back someday. That's not our reason for existence here on this earth. We are here to be representatives of Christ and of his coming and to announce the coming of Jesus to the world and to show by our lives that we are allowing God to place his seal in our foreheads. That's why God has placed us here on this earth. I want to read to you a few statements about the sealing of God's people. This is found in Testimonies, Volume 5, starting on page 207. And we read, Jesus is about to leave the mercy seat of the heavenly sanctuary to put on garments of vengeance and pour out his wrath in judgments upon those who have not responded to the light God has given them. 
Continuing on later, this is page 28. Instead of being softened by the patience and long forbearance that the Lord has exercised toward them, those who fear not God and love not the truth strengthen their hearts in their evil course, but there are limits even to the forbearance of God, and many are exceeding these boundaries. They have overrun the limits of grace, and therefore God must interfere and vindicate his own honor. Friends, we are living in a time where people are saying God will not do good, neither will he do evil. The earth has continued as it has all of this time. Look at this. We, we'll just continue and keep living as we always have and as it was in the days of Noah and as it was in the days of Lot. It's going, it, it is that way even now. And we see the unrest on this earth. We see the trouble in this nation and around the world. Surely the limits of God's grace will not be overrun much longer. And even in the church, there are some who believe that even though as Adventists we have preached that Jesus is coming for so many years, there are some who say, you know what, that message has lost its relevance. We need to, to dumb down our message. Let's just talk about one thing and one thing only to the exclusion of all other Bible truths and the distinctness of the Adventist message of the coming of Jesus has been lost sight of in the minds of many because we are not lifting up Jesus completely and fully so that we as a church want him to come. Listen, if we were really connected to Jesus the way we should be, we would be looking forward to the coming of Jesus. But if we're not really connected to Jesus, then we're going to be scared and inconvenienced by the thought that the four winds are about to be released. And you can have a good idea of your standing with God if you're more scared about the time of trouble than you are about looking forward to living with Jesus in heaven. Because the time of trouble will come and go, and then you have eternity to live with Jesus. Yes, it will be a time of trouble, but eternity will be much greater. Ellen White goes on to say, that which causes me, this is page 209, that which causes me to tremble is the fact that those who have had the greatest light and privileges have become contaminated by the prevailing iniquity. That means people in the church have become contaminated by the prevailing iniquity in the world. Don't think about other people in the church. Think about yourself. Influenced by the unrighteous around them, many, even of those who profess the truth, have grown cold and are borne down by the strong current of evil. Next paragraph, the crisis is fast approaching. The rapidly swelling figures show that the time for God's visitation has about come. Although loath to punish, nevertheless he will punish, and that speedily. Friends, I believe that Jesus is coming very soon. I believe that the day of God's vengeance is just upon us. Ellen White says the seal of God will be placed upon the foreheads of those only who sigh and cry for the abominations done in the land. Now, some people take that quote to mean that we need to be going around and telling everyone about every bad thing that they can find in the church. That's not exactly what this statement means. Yes, there is a pointing out of sin, but to sigh and to cry means that your heart is broken. Sometimes I go to certain Facebook pages and websites, and it seems as if people are glad that they've discovered apostasy, like they're rubbing their hands together, oh, good, look what I found now about the church. That's not sighing and crying, friends. 
Sighing and crying means your heart is broken for things that are not going right in God's church. And those are the ones, those who are sighing and crying, who will receive the seal of God in their foreheads. One other statement worth mentioning. This is page 214 of volume 5 of the Testimonies. Not one of us will ever receive the seal of God while our characters have one spot or stain upon them. It is left with us to remedy the defects in our characters, to cleanse the soul temple of every defilement. Then the latter rain will fall upon us as the early rain fell upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost. Friends, God isn't waiting for more signs in the heaven to show us that he is going to come again. Those signs have come in 1755, 1780, and 1833. The signs now that Jesus is coming again are the signs that God, through Jesus in the most holy place, is is working to seal his people, to transform us into the likeness of Jesus so that he can pour out his Holy Spirit through the latter rain upon us before he comes back. Now is the time for us to be ready for com the coming of Jesus. I like this statement in Testimonies, volume 5, page 216, those who are distrustful of self who are humbling themselves before God and purifying their souls by obeying the truth, these are receiving the heavenly mold and preparing for the seal of God in their foreheads. When the decree goes forth and the stamp is impressed, their character will remain pure and spotless for eternity. Friends, that is what I want. When the decree goes forth, my prayer is that my character will remain pure and spotless for eternity. Friends, there are things that are happening in this world today that show that Jesus is coming soon. Now is not the time to be afraid. Now is the time to be preparing our hearts as we see these things coming to pass. Now is the time for us to be looking up, to lifting up our heads, to look unto Jesus, because our redemption draweth nigh. That is good news, friends. It's not scary news. It's not bad news. This is what we as Seventh-day Adventists have long believed and have taught. We believe that Jesus is coming again. This is the blessed hope. This is the glorious hope. And as we see the world falling apart all around us, my hope and prayer for each one of us is that we will daily surrender our lives to, to Jesus, that we will allow him to do a work of soul cleansing in our hearts, so that whatever may be in our hearts and lives that is preventing him from placing his seal upon us, that we would surrender that to him as we are touched by his love for us, his sacrifice for us, so that when Jesus comes, his seal will be seen in our foreheads and we will be able to say, this is our God, we have waited for him, and he will save us. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.